0: If you're an entrepreneurship and you're telling people you want to help people, well, you know, you're not really going to help people unless you create financial wealth. That was like entrepreneurship 101. <laughs> and then it all went away and I was door knocking, which is just a disaster. So in 2008, you went
1: from over $10 million net worth to nearly bankrupt. It was, It was a horrendous time. So this guy is one of the truest Gs when it comes to just actually creating success and creating freedom. What I love most about this guy is the tenacity in him and the fact that he's created so much incredible things in his life already. My man, Mr. Adam Hudson.
0: Australia is undergoing a massive amount of change right now. Mainstream media is dying. It doesn't make sense. Do you think entrepreneurs are born or created? Oof. It's all the non-sexy stuff. Non-sexy stuff.
1: Welcome to the Dream Out Loud family, where young entrepreneurs come to learn the tips, tricks and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan T. Nelson, a former carpenter who created financial freedom by the age of 23, and have since spent my time traveling around the world living my dream life, inspiring, educating and teaching other young people how they can do the same. Each and every week, I'll bring you the most epic guests who are going to share their stories, wisdom, tips and tricks on how they've been able to create a life by design. Here at Dream Out Loud, we're committed to helping inspire and educate you to be able to execute your full potential. All right, guys, say we're sitting down with one of the top entrepreneurs here in Australia. So this guy has done, in their first five years studying out in the education business, they did $75 million in sales. At one point, had the one of the top education companies here in Australia teaching people how to create money online. So this guy is one of the truest Gs when it comes to just actually creating success and creating freedom. He's also a serial entrepreneur and a massive property investor. But what I love most about this guy is the tenacity in him And the fact that he's created so much incredible things in his life already and he's just not stopping with his brand new company getting started soon that we're going to talk about. So please, my man, Mr. Adam Hudson. Nice to see you, Nelson. Thank you for having me on the show. Dude, I'm super excited to have a conversation with you. Uh, It's funny, when I first got into entrepreneurship, um, your name was definitely one that's been floated around. So like, as we were just talking before we got recording, it's like people here in Australia, I think definitely used to the word Adam Hudson. Yeah. Um, which is really cool. So I really, I'm excited to have a chat with you. So, but when I was putting together all the information of you and reading in bio, you've been in business since 21, right? And so. The age of 21, not
0: 2021.
1: (laughs) The age of 21. (laughs) Yeah. So you've been in business and entrepreneurship for quite a while now. I'm curious to know, how have you seen entrepreneurship and business change and mold over the decades?
0: Yeah, so um, that was 30 years ago when I started in business, nearly 30 years. and I think the biggest thing is just the scale uh, and access that people have today. Young people coming up today have so much more access to global opportunities, access to large markets, the ability to grow large audiences quickly. Uh, we just didn't have those things. You know, I came up in the day where when I was in my early 20s, oh, maybe in my late teens, early 20s, email came out. You know, that's that I'm 50 now. So the idea of, Um, getting these companies that I see now young people today scaling and getting such big dollars for their businesses so quickly through social media and all those things it's just mind-blowing to me what's possible uh, from a technology and and uh, leverage point of view
1: yeah it's do do you think it's made entrepreneurship easier or harder because at the same time there's so much comparison and stuff as well and I've seen so many people these days think they should get into entrepreneurship because everyone's doing it. And then perhaps they have pressure on themselves to do things that maybe they don't want to do. What do you think about it?
0: I think there's definitely a lot more advantages now because aside from the technological advances, the access that you guys have, the young people listening to this to knowledge, like just before I got on the podcast, when I was driving here, I was listening to an interview with Elon Musk. Um, Back in the day, billionaires like Elon Musk were like these figures that you would see a print article about them Mm -hmm. once a year in the BRW Rich List. You never got to hear them actually talk. Uh, You didn't even know what their voice sounded like. Young people today can sit down and listen to a two-hour long form podcast with someone like Elon Musk or any of these incredible entrepreneurs, and you can learn and just fast track your knowledge just so much quicker. So I think while young people coming up do have definite disadvantages in certain areas when it comes to entrepreneurship, education is so critical to it and they're central to it that I think there's there's huge advantages for young people coming up.
1: Do you think entrepreneurship, do you think entrepreneurs are born or created?
0: Well, um, I think it's probably a bit of both. I think we're born with some natural skills, but I think um, it depends on what happens to you in life as well that determines, um, where the drive comes from. Um, so I think it's a combination of nature and nurture when it comes to entrepreneurship.
1: Was there something that happened to you that you can pinpoint that made you turn into an entrepreneur?
0: Yeah. And it, and it's not positive. Um, you know, like I, I remember being at a Tony Robbins seminar when I was like 24 or something, right? So I'd already been in business a few years. I'd already made my first million by then. I was very driven. Uh, I lost the first million soon after. It's another story. But um, I went to the Tony Robbins seminar and, and unpacked where my drive came from. And I realized it came from a stand-up argument with my dad in the hallway of our family home. And basically, you know, we were three boys and my mum and dad and dad was the only worker. And as kids, you don't appreciate the pressure that your parents might be under as a single income home. Like, you know, it's, it's tough. And, you know, we had this argument. He was always tight with money because he probably had to be. And I I was like, well, I want to do this. And he was like, well, if you want to do it, you can live in your own home. When you live under your own home and you can make the rules, right? Like most teenage arguments. And at that moment, I decided I'm going to make more money than my dad. And that's where my drive came from was like, I'm going to prove him wrong. I'm going to prove them, you know. And so, you know, a lot of times when you dig beneath highly successful people, whether it's sports people, whether it's entrepreneurs, They have enemies and those enemies give passion to their business plans. Patrick, but David talks about this. He's just uh, just got a book about to come out called Choose Your Enemies Wisely. And Patrick says, you know, you've got to never let a good enemy go to waste because they can provide the drive and the passion to prove people wrong. Elon Musk is the same. He's proved people wrong over and over and over. He uses them for fuel. So I think that's part of the nurture. What happens to you coming up that determines how much drive you've got and how much you care.
1: Yeah, so there's two biggest motivating forces in all human behavior, to gain pleasure or to avoid pain. Yeah. And somebody asked me this the other day, like, do you think using pain is um, useful? And I'm like, I think 100 million percent. Yeah. Because there's so many successful people I've met, spoken to, interviewed, that have all said nearly the same thing. They've had either come from some sort of chip on their shoulder or eventually be like, I'm going to show you, or a strong desire to not be broke yes. or to not have this. And it's what gets them going. Uh, I think where it wouldn't become a problem would if that's the only thing that continually drives us forever, right? Yeah, totally. Do you remember a point where did it change for you where instead of being driven by, I've got to have this so I've got more money than dad, where did it then pivot to something that's more pulling you versus pushing you?
0: Oh, I've still got enemies. (laughs) Don't don't get me wrong. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, the longer that you're in business, enemies take all kinds of forms, right? So business partners that have quit on you, wives or girlfriends that left you because they thought you would never amount to anything, right? Mm. Um, uh, there's The enemies come in a lot of shapes. And um, so, you know, I've still got people who root for me to fail, right? Like anybody who's out there doing anything at scale. So I still have those drives. And I also have positive drives like, you know, wanting to provide for, you know, my family in different ways and all that sort of stuff. So I still have both. I don't think there's ever a time for a a real champion um, in life or sport or business or whatever that doesn't have people that are on their shit list, you know? So
1: do you think it's just a bit of a fallacy then? Because I think like this day and age, especially in the younger generation, a lot of them are wanting to, I just want to help people. I want to impact. And I told someone the other day, actually, I said, unless your highest value is actually impact, that's not the driver. So stop kidding yourself. Like yeah. in the beginning, the driver is not, I just want to help people. Bullshit. Yeah. Unless your number one reason for living is impact yeah. and service, which is probably not. Um, we've all got a fundamental need to actually need to figure our own shit out first. So do you think it's a bit of a fallacy that people are falling into to go trying to have these extrinsic kind of motivators when actually um, they might be pushing aside what is really motivating
0: Yeah. I mean, if people, there's lots of discussion around this because, you know, at the end of the day, um, to really help people, um, there's, that can take many forms. So if that's your real motivation, you could be a school teacher. You can be an ambulance officer. You could be, um, a, a public servant in some other way that's helping people. And I have so much respect for people in those doctors, nurses, all those incredible souls that choose that path. But if you're an entrepreneurship and you're telling people you want to help people, well, you know, I think you got to get real about the fact that you're not really going to help people unless you create financial wealth. And when you create a finan- financial wealth, it means you're probably employing people. It means you've got discretionary income to go and um, give to causes that you care about. Two days ago, I was at a business breakfast here on the Gold Coast. A lot of wealthy Gold Coast business people there. They raised $140,000 over breakfast. Now, they wouldn't have done that if everybody on this room was broke, right? And that money was for the Gold Coast Community Fund, which goes to local Gold Coasters that are in pain, um, you know, women that are suffering from domestic violence issues and stuff like that. And as much as it would be nice to give that girl a cuddle and support her, she needs a roof over her head. She needs food for her baby that she's pulled out. And the only reason she stays with a guy who's beating her up is because she doesn't have the money to be out on her own. The money. She has everything all the motivation to leave but the money is what the man uses as the tool so um if you take that tool away from that man by you know wealthy business people going come over here we are going to give you refuge with cash that is really helping people and it's only through entrepreneurship that you can express cash like that but it doesn't mean it's more important than a doctor or a a nurse whatever but if you're an entrepreneur i think the best thing you can do is become successful financially
1: I couldn't agree more. We we were just in Bali last week got back a couple of days ago and we did we took my whole mastermind over there, we did an impact day. We supported a local safe house there, raised a whole bunch of money for them and do these things and then I, I sponsored a girl there. Yeah. Um yeah. put her through school and I told her, I said I said, How would you like it to never have to worry about like education for the rest the rest of your life or the rest of your school? And she's like, What do you mean? You're going to, you're going to get twelve. Yeah. And I, and I saw it. And she started crying and it was amazing. And I had this idea, I was like, it's so incredible that I can do that and not have to worry about how much it's going to cost and just be able to take care of it. And I put something on my Instagram and I was like, you all, I think I think all of us do have an obligation to become as successful as we can. Yes. So you can go do epic shit like that. Yes. And a mentor once said to me, they're like, they're like, you, you see all these people who are like, oh, I just want to save the rainforest and yada, yada, yada. And he said, he goes, if the goal is to really save the rainforest, go and make so much fucking money. And just buy the damn thing. Yeah. Stop trying to change yourself to a tree and try to change the world. Uh, and this is why I love entrepreneurship.
0: Well, Steve Irwin did that. You know? Yeah. He he did save our not rainforest, but bought right. thousands of acres of land for preservation from the wealth he created from his TV shows and everything he did. Yeah. But at the end of the day, no money, no land. Yeah. So you
1: one of the one of the things you've done, you've crushed it in the e-commerce space. You crushed it with the Amazon thing. You're one of the first people to sort of really help people crack into that market. And it's definitely still an industry that's brewing at the moment. So many people want to get into e-commerce. So what is the most important thing someone's got to look out for if they want to get into the space of actually selling products online?
0: Well, it's, it's in the space of selling anything period, whether it's online or in business. The best um, blueprint that I've ever seen is from Alex Homozi. And, and this is basically what I taught. And then I heard Alex explain it in four steps. And the first step is feed a hungry crowd, right? So a lot of times, and this is the biggest mistake after having 17,000 students try to start Amazon businesses, that was the number one thing. They identified a niche on Amazon, but it could be a business on the Gold Coast or anywhere else they are, where it wasn't really a starving crowd that was waiting, that they were wanting to sell to, solving a real problem. So that's number one. So you got to have that. you got to have something that people are, reaching over the counter to grab off you when you tell them about it because business is hard enough as it is without having that really bedded down the second thing is they've got to be able to afford what you're selling right so it's no good if they really really need it but they can't buy it so if you start a resume writing service a hundred percent of your customers are unemployed so That's you know important. even if the if your resume writing service is the best in the world, it's going to get them a job if they can't afford you it's no good the third thing is you need to be able to target them So again, if if they're hungry and they can afford it, but you can't reach them and target them online, well, then you're stuck. So I have a business that sells electric toilets, right? So I sell them online. And before I um, started, I worked out that in Australia, there's 12,000 searches a month for chemical camping toilets, right? So there's people looking for camping toilets. That's one of the niches we sell into. We now sell to mines or we sell to BHP this week and so on but I knew that there's a significant amount of search already happening on the internet in Australia for the exact product I sell. So I can market to them through Google. Now we do social advertising as well. And so you've got need, like genuine need, you've got ability to buy, you've got the ability to reach them. And the fourth one is sell into a growing market. Because if you're selling into a market that's declining, you have to be going forward just to stand still. So make sure you're going in a growing market. If you've got all four of those, but the most important of which is you're selling a product or service that is genuinely feeding a starving crowd, that's the biggest thing.
1: I I heard a rumor that one of the first things you started selling was like a colon,
0: I can't even say the word, a colon bag or something? A colon bag. Is that? (laughs) No, it's not a colon bag. So I I used to use that as an example of the kinds of products that I was encouraging people to buy Uh, sorry, to sell on marketplaces like Amazon because so often people come up and they're like, especially young people, right? They're like, I'm I'm into fitness. so I'm going to sell fitness gear. I'm going to sell supplements or I'm going to sell makeup or I want to sell lingerie because they're into that and it makes them sound good when they go to a barbecue. And I would say sell a urine bag, sell a bedside commode. You know, this is five years ago when I was teaching this. Sell stuff that's boring where the competition are big sellers that are like medical companies that haven't innovated in 50 years, don't know a thing about marketing. And then ironically, a year ago when I found these toilets, I ended up selling toilets. And the reason I launched it publicly on my Instagram, I said, all right, guys, I'm going to show you how to build a million dollar company selling toilets. And everyone's like, Adam's lost his mind. I'm like, it's perfect. Cause it's boring. It's profitable. It has consumables on the back end, pardon the pun. And, um, and the competition is very limited because you don't get all those hotshot marketers. You try to sell supplements. Every man and his dog wants to sell supplements. Every woman and her dog wants to sell active wear or makeup or sexy things that are going to look cool on Instagram. Nobody wants to say, I'm the guy that sells toilets. Well, I, I, you know, what I find sexy is profit. I like to take long romantic walks to the bank. I don't care about whether it makes me look sexy or anything else. Does that make sense? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I'm attached to that.
1: And I want to play the side of someone who's listening to this going, oh, but you just crushed this dream because I had this idea. I wanted to create the best activewear. I know there's lots out there, but is not there still room for the best in the market? What's your advice to someone who wants to kind of go against everything you just said because they have something that they just think could be the best?
0: Well, in that particular niche, for example, in activewear, it's really about brand, right? If you think about it, like the Kardashians with their skims, it's about the Skims brand and the distribution. Arguably, there's probably lots of products that are easily available that you could probably get the people who make Skims yourself. But can you make a better brand and can you get distribution? If you look at Simon Beard with Culture Kings, you know, he's selling T-shirts and shorts and jeans. But his, his brilliance was his inability to create a brand, and experience that when you went in those stores, it was theater Young man, he knew exactly who he was targeting. It was like going to a nightclub when you would walk into his stores. But at the end of the day, their t-shirts, their jeans, their caps, but the kids who were his customers bought into the brand, which he was absolutely nailed. Him and Tani, very, very smart people who who deserve all their success. So it's about brand.
1: What do you, what do you see as the biggest struggle for entrepreneurs right now?
0: Um, it, It's definitely being um dispassionate about their idea selection you know the it's like with a marriage people say you know what's what's the key to a successful marriage and um the older people who've been together for years will say oh it's it's easy the 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 secret is choose the right person (laughs) right that there it is it's not like go for a walk on the beach every day or make sure you look no choose the right human being for you if you choose the right human being the rest is just on the margins, right? You can't fix broken. And so many people start with, "Oh, I'm going to make this active web," and the, and the really good test that I say to people is this: If you're thinking about developing a product or service, imagine that it's all done, right? Let's you know, let's say that you you're going to launch Dream um, uh, Energy Drinks, Dream Out Loud Energy Drinks. Now for the person who's developing this, they get all excited about the logo. They get all excited about the colors, they get you know, all that stuff when you're young. So imagine day one, that it's all done. You've got this beautiful energy drink sitting on the counter right now. What has to happen in order for that to be sold, right? And, and, and I'm, I'm, it's a rhetorical question. Like they then have to think about, okay, well, how do I actually make, oh, I've got to go down to Woolworths and try and pitch it to Woolies. Okay, well, how long is that gonna to take to get the meeting? Is it gonna be you or is it gonna be somebody else? What is it cost to move that product and have that discussion now and really think through now about distribution and sales, because people think, well, once I've got this thing, it's just going to happen. No, somebody has to actually go and make those transactions happen. And that somebody is probably going to need to be paid. How much do they cost? How long is it going to take to get in the door? And can you float your business long enough for that to happen and turn into a real business? So I encourage people to go to the day one before they even start and ask the real commercial questions about distribution and sales first.
1: It's all the non-sexy uh, stuff. Non-sexy stuff. It's non-sexy stuff. I Every time I run a business mastermind, I'll ask the question. I'll say, what's the first thing? What's the most important thing in business? First thing you should do. And I've, I've waited as long as 10, 15 minutes and just all these answers are coming up. You need a website. You need your logo. You need this here, this here, this. I'm like, what you need is just go fucking make money. Go sell your shit somehow to someone and just prove the concept's actually going to work. Yeah, Take the money, make things better. It's almost a form of procrastination to just getting ready to get ready. hundred percent. To get ready. Um, what does it actually take to really make it?
0: Well, in my case, I was a bit of a slow learner, right? So people tend to look at it now and they hear the story, okay, you, you had that big success selling um, online courses and You've had I sold an anim, built and sold an animation company in Los Angeles. I built it from scratch. I sold it um, in 2015. I've had a few wins, not many. And when people just say, "Oh, you know, you you were really successful at e-commerce," I was moderately successful as an e-commerce seller. I never sold that I was a Simon Beard or um, <clears throat> a Bondi Sands or anything. there's much much more successful e-commerce sellers than me. My business partner Eric has a hundred million dollar a year e-commerce company based here on the Gold Coast, 175 staff. So it's far more successful. I, I just knew how to find a good product and scale it to a few million dollars a year. And that and I educated people how to do that. And that's where most of the market was. And so I had significant success as an educator because I worked with where most people were. Most people can't imagine going to, to, to a to $100 million a year business. But um, what it really takes for me, is I had only a few wins and you only have to be right a few times in your life um, and a lot of failures. So for me, when I look back, as Steve Jobs said, you only connect the dots looking back on your life. My superpower is persistence. I just kept going. Like Winston Churchill said, the key to to success is being kicked in the nuts over and over and not losing enthusiasm. <laughs> right? Yeah, They might not be the exact words, but that's the meaning. And so I just kept going because I was like, I am not, I am unemployable. I, I have, I can't do a job. I literally cannot get up in the morning and go in and a boss tells me, this is where you got to turn up. This is when you go, this is what you got to do for me. And that's it. I just, I can't do that. I just, it it would like, it'd be like me changing my sexuality. I just can't do it. Right. No matter how much I try, I like what I like. Right. So, and that's what it is in entrepreneurship. Same, same deal. So That being the case, I just kept going until I figured stuff out and I kept making mistakes. And the best, the only way most people learn is when they lose and they had something on the line significant. Um, you can't really learn unless you go out and fall and then go again. And and it's through pain that you develop the real learnings. Mm -hmm.
1: So speaking of pain, so in 2008, you went from over a $10 million net worth to nearly bankrupt. Mm Mm-hmm. Talk to us about what actually happened there, but what were those days like?
0: Yeah, it happened pretty quick. I was, it was 2008, everything was booming leading into the, the collapse in 2008. Everyone was like, wow, how good is this? Happy days. Of course, 2008 came along. You would have been too young at that time for, for that. I was in school. I did. You were in school, so you missed that one. But um, where I had my wealth was I owned about five houses here on the Gold Coast, investment properties um and i had just listed my company um and and had an eight figure stake in that business but it was only just listed four months before so my shares were escrowed we were a small cap it got wiped out pretty much uh, everybody bailed the share price went to almost nothing uh, my shares were escrowed um, what does escrow mean? oh escrowed means you can't sell your shares because you're a founder so for the first two years your shares are locked up, so you can't liquidate them. You have to own them. You can't, you can't, can't. in other words, it stops people from listing their company and dumping the shares on the market and see you later. So, um, the, the shares became worth nothing. The company, we were in early stage capital raising. Um, nobody wanted to invest in early stage companies at that time. So our revenues fell through the floor. We hired, we fired, sorry, uh, 80% of our workforce in three months. Most of it happened in the first day. And I was retired as the CEO leading into the IPO. We brought uh, another, um, you know, a legit CEO, a proper CEO in before we uh, did the listing. And I'd not retired, but I'd left the business. And uh, then the CEO went back to Sydney and I stepped back into the CEO role, sold my five investment properties to put into the company to pay creditors and save the company I worked for two years for free near and it sent me back to zero, you know, and, um, I lent the money unsecured to the, to the company cause it needed cash immediately. And so it was brutal. Like one, one day I'm flying high, I've got an eight figure net worth, a founder of a, um, co-founder of a, a now public company. And then six months later I was, um, I started a, a business and was being the CEO. I was moonlighting as a CEO in the, in the company that we'd lift listed and I was door knocking selling a marketing service door to door to pay my bills um literally walking up and down the streets of the gold coast knocking on small businesses saying can i help you with your marketing and trying to get 300 dollars a month retainers and that's how i got through how'd, how'd that feel if you didn't do that horrendous and it was terrifying like i, I remember the first day i had a flip chart and again because i couldn't get a job i could how am i going to get a job who's going to employ a guy who founded a public company and is now down and out. Like they know he's going to leave. Mm. They're not going to feel comfortable having me lurking around, right? They don't. So I had to go down the first street I ever knocked was James Street in Burley, uh, the, all the cafes, and I and I was nervous. I'd lost all my confidence, and I'd walk in and try and get an appointment. Say, hey, can I help you with your marketing? Um, and it was humbling. And um, it's funny. I'll tell you, just the, the first day I did it. I walked up and down the the coffee shops and I didn't go into a single business because I was so afraid of being rejected that I went back to my car and I had my flip chart that I'd printed out. And I was about to start the car and I looked down and I was telling myself, okay, you've done the surveillance, you'll come back tomorrow, we'll start, right? Putting it off a day, right? And in my head, something at that moment, I just said this fear wasn't in my head, it was actually my gut. And my gut at that moment said, Adam, if you don't get back out of the car right now, you and I both know that this is it. You're going to have to go get a job because mm-hmm. you're going to do exactly the same thing tomorrow. Adam, are again. getting? Yeah. And time, fate, and circumstance sort of held a hasty meeting and were watching me, I think, to see at that moment, is he going to go back to being an employee for the rest of his life or is he going to go and do this? And I was just so nervous. And I got back out of the car and said, you know what, Adam? Fuck this. You've got no other choice. So I went down, I knocked on the first door and the guy said, yes, it was $300 a month retainer. And I knocked on a whole bunch of other doors that day. By the end of the day, I had two customers, $600 a month. By the end of the first month, I had about $4,000 of retainer income by just cold calling, knocking on doghouse business doors. And that got me out of the shit, got me through. And then about two years later, I ended up selling my stake in the business and moving to America. What, What was that business? That was the one where I was door knocking. The one that went down. Oh, it was a capital raising company. It was uh, called the Australian Small Scale Offerings Board. So we did um, uh, early stage capital raising for unlisted companies. So we'd organize their structure, show them how to raise capital, and we'd take commission on the funds raised. See, so so
1: many people would have um, collapsed. So many people would have gone back or or let the fear. Were were you afraid then?
0: Oh, totally. Everything, like at that moment, I was in my mid to late thirties and leading into that, I thought, yes, I've been that crazy guy for 15 years. All my mates went into corporate or jobs and they were now making 400 grand a year in good corporate jobs. They were getting big digs into their mortgage. They were paying down their homes, they had a few investment properties. I'd had very limited up and down wins uh, leading into that. And I was like, I made it. I knew entrepreneurship was the way and then it all went away. And I was door knocking with mm-hmm. no thing. With, I, the, I got down to $4,000 net worth. Four thousand dollars in my late thirties, which is just a disaster when you've worked your whole life without a safety net. Yeah, um, that's that's where I got to. I nearly had to ask my girlfriend's father for a loan.
1: What happened to that? Right? Was that mostly because of the crash, or was it like looking back on it now, knowing what you know now, could you have prevented that happening, or was it just if it happened again, it's just the circumstance of the world?
0: First of all, I probably would have never taken it public, right? Like I, I just didn't have enough information at that time. I thought taking a public company was a company public was the Holy grail. And I've since become a lot wiser and understand it. I'm not a lot better than I did at the time. So I probably wouldn't have taken it public at all. Um, and, uh, you know, as I said, we are in a, we are in a we had a business where we raised money for early stage companies and when the economy is booming and there's just money left, right and center, everybody's making money. They're like, yeah, I'll put 50 grand into that startup that my friend has started and I'll put a hundred grand in that. We're raising millions of dollars for these really risky companies, right? And it was all happy because everybody was like making money on paper. And then 2008 hit, the tide went out. We find out who's swimming naked, as Warren Buffett says. And people are just not spending money or investing money in that sector at all, right? Uh, all the money rushed to safety assets, which we were selling the antithesis of safety assets. So our business just revenues collapsed, share price collapsed. Um, and uh, and, I, and I honestly, I, I don't know that I would do what I did again. Like I, I took everything that I had outside of the business and lent it to the company to save it. And it was a very thankless job. I was to pay employee entitlements and all that stuff. As a public company, I wasn't the CEO at the time. I hadn't been for a year, I was just a shareholder. Um, I don't know if I'd do it again, but I did. Uh, it worked out ultimately okay, but it was it was a horrendous time.
1: What's up, Dream Nation? Have you ever wondered how far ahead your life would have already been if you had got access to this type of content at a younger age? Look, this is why I need your help. I'm trying to build the number one personal development platform out there to teach you guys the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live your dream life and to bring the type of education that we all wish we had in school. This show only grows by word of mouth and new subscribers, so it would mean the world to me if you could smash that subscribe button right now, leave us a five-star written review or drop a comment below and share this episode with a friend. I would be forever grateful. All right, now let's get back into this episode. it's so interesting because as i'm because i'm obviously 30 never got to that point and i would be lying if i said that that isn't like a lingering i guess fear that hopefully one day nothing like that happens and knowing what you know now i guess well what would you say to me then to make sure because some of the things this would would think by the same thing as what you were just saying like how can you go from having this eight figure net worth to then completely because people would think well, you've got everything you got this, yeah. happening, this happening uh and at least i do anyway it's like if i got to that sort of net worth i would think i'd be somewhat invincible as well mm-hmm. um so what kind of advice have you got to for people to protect themselves better to be more financially secure so even if something like that happened they've still
0: yeah i mean i i could have said i'm not going to sell my properties and save the business and i would have had I don't know what I had out in the properties. Maybe I maybe had a million dollars of equity in the properties or maybe a million, five or two. So I can't remember. It was a while ago now. So one one to $2 million had I, you know, not done that. And, but I, I was selling them at the worst possible time. Maybe there's a million yeah. bucks. Right? So I fire sold them to get the cash for the business. That was the thing that really put me on my ass. <laughs> um, I could have lost the equity in the business and sort of gone, all right, well, I'm still a millionaire. Um, but I didn't because I was like, no, I, you know, I, I'm thinking about it now. It's the first time I thought about it in a while. It was probably one of the biggest motivators. I had family and friends money in the business who, who had invested in that company. Um, and so I felt this obligation to save it for me reputationally and also to save it for them. And as a result, looking back I, I probably did a good thing because it didn't fail it's certainly not under my watch I don't know what's happened to it now it's merged and it was acquired and other things have gone on but it didn't fail under my watch completely we turned it around saved it restored it to profitability and stuff so I didn't have that black mark on my history which yeah. was good um but it cost me everything yeah so I don't know looking back because I, I probably could have said well look I, I, I've been gone for a year you know yeah. um I didn't have to do that, but I did. I don't know if I'd do it again, do but it again. be diverse. I mean, if you diversify, that's great, but it just wasn't in my nature to do that. It was yeah. like, I just don't want the black mark, yeah. um, but it happens, you know, and it can happen quite easily, especially if a lot of your net worth is tied up in a, in a public company like that, that's speculative and early. Um, and then everything else that I had in property went into that. So, yeah.
1: What's been the most scariest moment in business for you, except for that, if that was it?
0: Uh, I, I mean, that, that was probably it. You know, it was sitting down with a CEO. Like, we got a phone call, my business partner and I, who founded the company. We got a phone call saying, hey, I need to meet you. Meet with you. This is the CEO. And we met in Surface Paradise in a hotel lobby. And she'd only been running the company for six months or nine months. And she was like, oh, we need you guys to put some money in. I'm like, why? Right? We just, we just went public, you know, I was making, you know, good money it was making six figures a month profit leading into the the IPO why do we need money well you know things have slowed down you know and I'm like okay where are we at exactly she goes well I'm not I'm not really sure but I'm going to Sydney um tonight and um maybe think about how much you can put into the business and I'm like oh my god how bad is this and so then I call a friend of mine who's a CPA and I said I need to meet you here in the offices now what's the CPA Uh, chartered Brexit accountant, an accountant. Yeah. So an accountant. Yeah. And and a guy who'd run public companies before. So I met him at the office with the CEO's permission and we went through how much the company owed, what the creditors were. And it was like a total shit show. Like we owed more money than we had in the bank and it had been run down to a, you know, a very, very unhealthy place. Um, so, you know, we, we did not have enough money to last a week. Of obligations, so that was a very scary moment, and that's when we fired people, and you know, I was rattling tins to pay staff and saying, "We can't afford you." You know, there's no money here. Wild. Do you have any regrets? Mm. Um, probably on, only. I got married a year ago um, to to my lovely wife. Uh, I wish I'd met her earlier um, because I don't have any kids. I'm fifty. And, um, uh, yeah, so that's probably the one thing I would have liked to maybe have a family with her, but, um, yeah, it wasn't to be, but that was about the only thing I would have liked is maybe a, a, family.
1: Can you still have Tony Robbins just had a fucking kid?
0: Yeah. Yeah. There are options. It depends what we, we can't have kids, but right. yeah, but, um, it, it would have, if it was an option for us, we probably would have had yeah. a kid. Yeah. So
1: what I think would be cool to talk about. It. So right now we're, so we're sitting in your brand new office, he's so Tommy. you've just really invested in this getting this place going you're about to launch your own podcast and you're also doing a media company Mm -hmm. so i want to kind of unpack your brains too because it's cool when people listen to this it's like well that's what you've done in the past and what i want them to really understand is what's your strategy right now so talk us through from the idea of creating this whole media company and podcast to where we're at right now and your plan for the next year with this as a business yeah walk us through that
0: yeah. I, uh, I think in sort of next 10 years rather than next years. Um, so I, I'm at a place now in my life where I'm, um, for me, I'm gen- genuinely financially free. So I, I've, I have enough income from my assets that I don't need to do business anymore, um, which is a really privileged and lovely place to exist because you get to do things in a different headspace. Um, you, you don't have as much pressure so this is a genuine passion project for me, and it's really the first time in my life that I've been at that place where I can do something that I'm genuinely passionate about. I love educating people. I love talking to smart people. Um, so doing a podcast just sounds like a lot of fun to me, right? Just, just being able to grow your network. And my friend Matt Purcell in Sydney, who I, I think is a really smart guy around social and, and personal branding, he gives a really good example that the Eiffel Tower in Paris um sells about 90 million dollars a year of tickets which isn't a lot when you think of the eiffel tower it doesn't like i said eric my business partner his econ business here on the gold coast does more than the eiffel Mm -hmm. tower right but the eiffel tower brings billions of dollars of value to the city so a personal brand or i think by extension a podcast when you've got that audience it's not what the podcast makes from downloads it's the opportunities and it's the ways that you can monetize it long term are enormous I think there is a fundamental shift in the media landscape that's happening right now. Uh, I think uh, mainstream media is dying. It doesn't make sense as a business in the world we live in now. Uh, Now the consumer can choose what they want to learn about. So they go to YouTube and they listen to podcasts and they're on their phones all day and they're they're consuming information at an unprecedented rate. So, So I think there's a fundamental shift in the media landscape and eyeballs and attention are moving away from mainstream media and to independent media. And so um, media companies are hard uh, getting attention and keeping it um, through a podcast or a video podcast. It's to compete like with the likes of a diary of the CEO or that some of the top podcasts it, it costs money. You know that, that's the bottom line you know as we were talking off camera we've spent 300 grand just in the fit out in here and we haven't even started we'll have five full-time staff from january on for the listeners we're recording in december right now or just about the end of december so we'll have five full-time staff you know rent everything else and it won't make money for probably at least a couple of years mm. so you're going to be able to float that for a while um and you've got to be interesting. You've got to be entertaining. It's, it's, it's a high bar and it's a serious commitment. But I believe that um, those who um, are prepared to invest and do have a vision for it um, can do extremely well. And I think a, a really telling sign, if you look to the US, for example, uh, Patrick Bet-David, who is a big podcaster that I follow, he's got 74 staff on his podcast. Does he? Yeah, 74 in his... Well, when I say his podcast, his media business, but they're they're building a two-acre studio at the moment. But he's getting 500 million views a month. So that is more than any major TV network. Three presidential candidates um, uh, have announced their run on his podcast this election cycle. So that is a major shift. You know, Ron DeSantis, Vivek um, as well, These guys went on the podcast to announce. In days gone by, it would be CNN or NBC or something like that. So that is significant. You know, when you've got 500 million, you look at Mr. Beast, you know, Mr. Beast, his problem now is he can't find an advertiser that will pay him what he's worth because he's getting seven times the audience of a Super Bowl per video yeah um, so, and you look at what a Super Bowl ad goes for, it's five million dollars us per thirty seconds or seven million per thirty seconds. He has seven times that audience for twenty minutes, right? So how can you pay for that? So Mr. Beast is now going into fast-moving consumables like feastables. yeah, so he he makes about fifty or sixty million dollars a year from revenue from his videos, which he puts one hundred percent back into the videos but year number one with his chocolate bars, he did 200 million. So, and that's 200 million of a $4 billion market in the U S. So he, um, you know, because he's got attention, he's going to become, he's already a billionaire, Mm -hmm. that he'll be an extremely wealthy guy because he's created content at scale.
1: Yeah. Same with Logan Paul, Logan Paul. And, uh, you see what, I think what Jake Paul's doing is, I think Jake Paul's more entrepreneurial than Logan Paul copies, but, I like what Jake Paul's doing actually in the boxing world. Then you create a betting company yep. and you create an actual promotional company.
0: And look at Logan's done with Primed. Yeah. Uh, Primed. Like yeah. Once once you've got attention, but you've got a the media game is, is different, right? Like a lot of young people have um, relevancy. People are paying attention, but they don't have credibility, right? Yeah. So relevancy can be gained through um, short form TikTok type stuff. And you might have 2 million followers, but you can't monetize it. Whereas a long form podcast, like what you're doing and like what we're going to be doing. If something like someone spends an hour or two hours, each time they listen to you, that creates a depth and that depth can be monetized. It's very hard to monetize surface level attention, right? Mm -hmm. The Kardashians have surface level attention, but they have that at such monumental scale, but they also have their TV show, which is depth. Yeah. Right so you need to have both if you want to sort of monetize
1: so tell us okay so because i want these guys sort of understand like inside the brain of adam right now through the production of of creating this so you had the idea so straight away you're like if i'm going to do it we're going to fucking kill it so you put 300 grand into this thing walk us through the bit of the plan you said you've got a 10-year plan for this as like the new business Mm. what's your ideas what's your plan of How are you thinking right now? And going like, this is my attitude and my approach to actually doing all this.
0: Yeah, good question. So it's hard to, when when I mentioned it to you off camera, that this is what 300 grand looks like. When you sink it into the walls, you're like, holy shit, really? It's like this desk that we're sitting at is custom made built on site. You know, this here alone is probably 15 grand just for the top and the bench, you know? (laughs) Um, The mentality behind it is, we want to build a studio a bit like property developers say, build it and they will come. Mm -hmm. We want top level guests. And so we want them when they walk in, the reason we have those TVs behind you there is when they walk in, I want to have their face on those screens with a graphic made up, welcoming them to the studio. I want them to feel amazing when they come. I want them to walk in and go, holy shit, you guys are not messing around. I want them to feel like we are serious about amplifying their message because we are, we're going to, we're going to create trailers. We've got a full-time guy starting in four weeks. whose only job is cutting trailers of each podcast interview, which will then run traffic to certain ones that are real kick-ass pods. Um, So we're going to invest into that business um, in, in the hopes that they will then also go, you know, get that content out on their socials for us. So we want to really provide a platform that goes deeper than, Others have done, and I feel that at the age of 50, I have insights and views on things that I didn't have when I was 20. Right. You'll notice there's four seats around this table. I did that because if you look at any major TV show, whether it be Sex in the City or any of those, they're usually multi talent. And the reason they do that is so that everybody watching can identify with at least one of the characters. So I got three other guys that are all very different to me, and I want the audience to relate to one of the four of us at least. So maximum exposure of personality types and so on. And it's got to be entertaining. So it can't just be educational. It has to be entertaining. So these are all mates of mine. We play poker together and we're all entrepreneurs and we're all unemployable, right? So what we're trying to do is create an audience of people that relate to our vibe um, that we serve. And I've just hired four researchers this week who are researching for us. So because we've got this main panel But we've got two other types of content. One of those other types is medium form, 20-minute special interest, sorry, pieces. So I hire a researcher, for example, on um, the EV uh, market in Australia. Like uh, there's a lot of interest in that. Immigration, electric vehicles or, or immigration policies in Australia and how they might affect us as business people. So I've, I've got a full researcher just on that, getting all the data together so that we're well-researched when we're talking. And I really feel Australia is underserved in a content creation channel for self-employed entrepreneurs, self-directed investors about what's happening in this country at a deep level so that we can make informed decisions about where we invest our money, what types of businesses we start, because Australia is undergoing a massive amount of change right now. Um, So, we want to bring together experts and people and create content that is not available on, you know, Channel 9 or Channel 10 or or anything else um, because they're not focused on a singular audience. They're focused on mainstream Australia. You know, I'm not focused on mainstream Australia. I'm focused on the crazy bastards who want to be self employed and then beyond Australia. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. Who's your favorite entrepreneur right now? Elon Musk. Because he's a psycho, (laughs) like, no, I just love that Elon is just, there's not been a brain like that. Mm -hmm. He is our Henry Ford. He's our industrialist of our age. Very rare, um, to, to have an Elon Musk, you know, like what he is doing is absolutely remarkable across a range of industries. The, The brain on that guy and the balls on that guy is just beyond, um, and his, if you read the latest book that Walter Isaacson wrote about him, Walter does all the top biographies. He did Steve Jobs' biography. He's done all of them. It's an amazing book. You would just not, you think, you know, Elon Musk until you read this book. you like, know, man, this guy's insane. Like his mm. vision, his standards, his ability to recruit are just off the charts.
1: What, what do you do for, say so how many, how many companies do you have right now?
0: Uh, I look actively probably th- three or four. Yeah, yeah. I mean, companies in the sense of like businesses. Yeah. Um, I, I've got the toilets, right? Which yeah, I yeah. which I started really as a teaching tool. I wanted to show the audience, hey, you can still start a business in or 2023 selling built toilets. And we started in March this year. This month we did a hundred thousand for the month. Um, it's nine months old. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I did that. Um, that's a trading business. I've got my investment company, so I, I've invested in a few things, and then I've got this, and that's it for now.
1: So how do you how do you manage your time? and your energy amongst all these different things?
0: Um, I've I've worked four days a week for quite a long time now. So I work Monday to Thursday. Fridays is a personal day, just for health and just relaxing, and Saturday and Sunday. And then Monday to to Thursday I work. Um, I start early. So I start most days at about 4 a.m. I'm up and working. I'll work through till about 7, and I'll have, um, I'll have, um, then I'll do my exercise and then I, I'll go back to work at eight and then I'll work all day, come home, spend some time, uh, about five o'clock, I'll come come home, spend a couple of hours with my wife and then go to bed and I'm in bed by nine. So that's sort of my day. And then I might work out in the afternoon sometimes, you know, at about two o'clock when there's the gym quiet and stand.
1: So in the days though, like how, how do you actually manage the energy? Like how do you know, or what have you found amongst your years of going, like what makes you perform at the best ability? Cause yeah because i right now i've got three companies and the podcast podcast is a business and i'm just learning daily how to actually just like i've i'm starting to theme my days where it's like on this day you can't talk to me like my sister everyone knows you can't talk to me about these things yeah unless it's like this is on fire but this this is not it's a different theme so i even have days where i only do podcast interviews so thursdays and fridays are the only times i'll do podcast interviews not other day because i just stay in that theme where i'm like hey today is just this yeah do you do anything like that
0: my biggest hack for me anyway is you've got to have time to do deep work where you are totally undistracted and for me that is from four in the morning till seven in the morning those three hours i can get done in those three hours what most people would get done in three days Mm -hmm. because i'm i've just woken up um i've got zero distractions and that's where i'll get in and and just smash it. And then there's admin sort of from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock, you know, then I'll do some more work, but not as dense as what it's been in the morning. Two o'clock I might go to the gym, a few more admin things at the end of the day, and then I'm home. But most of my work, it's, I think most people are really, most people are really productive for three or four hours tops in a day. And you've got to make sure that those three or four hours, you're not distracted. And so you know that's when I get so much done important, and I try to tackle the the important things rather than the urgent things as much as I can. Push the urgent the urgent things to to sort of
1: how do you yeah, decide of them because how do you like focus on when things just come across your desk?
0: You're like oh, I've got to. Well, you know, right? Like, you, you 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 sort of tend to understand after a while that what you're doing today, if you're operating in the right way, those things that you do today that matter are going to pay off in two or three years right like um so you got it quite often the things are going to make the biggest difference uh you put them off because you know that it's not going to be an immediate payoff but you know long term it will be like creating systems writing and training Mm -hmm. your staff um that sort of stuff there's always urgent stuff like getting back to that email getting back to this and a lot of times entrepreneurs get caught up in clearing their inbox and it takes their clearest Time of day, they start clearing the inbox if they're up at 4 a.m. It's just such a waste of that precious, uninterrupted, clear, headed thinking time. So doing the, the stuff that you know is going to move the needle in the in the long term financially, tackle those things first, mm. not the urgent matters. Make them admin.
1: Where do you see AI? Where do you see AI actually going in the next 5, 10 years for before- every day-to-day person and us as entrepreneurs.
0: Yeah, AI, look, I wouldn't profess to be an. I've spent a bit of time in chat GPT-4 and, um, so on. There's certainly a lot of people that are smarter than me, but I think AI is going to be, that's this generation's internet, you know, like for my generation, the internet was revolutionary. AI is going to be revolutionary. Um, and I think there's going to be enormous change as a result of AI, um, I honestly don't know the full depth of it, but it's going to be substantial. Um, And I would just encourage young people coming up. I think really that's got to be on your decision tree when you're going to be starting something. How likely is what I'm about to be doing Mm. going to be disrupted by AI? Um, There's things like cleaning roofs, right? And emptying garbage trucks and, AI is not going to do that, you know, crawling through crawl spaces. And so I think those businesses in the future are going to be extremely profitable. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's, there's a lot of talent being attached, a lot of attention being attracted to, um, AI, but a lot of the, it's very short term, but like you're going to create an AI solution and then it's hard to monetize because 50 other guys just did the same thing. You know, what's a sustainable, defensible AI business, um those are going to be things for people to think about
1: adam this has been fun yeah i think that was like entrepreneurship 101 (laughs) everything in that um where can everybody find you on social media
0: best is just my instagram which is uh adam hudson official and uh that's probably the best our website is unemployable.com.au it's pretty crap the website at the moment because we're kicking it up next year it's just sort of a placeholder but um those are the two spots
1: beautiful all right, to wrap this up, I've got a final question. Yeah, if you were to go back to your eighteen-year-old self and give him thirty seconds of advice, what would it be?
0: eighteen-year-old <laughs> uh, self, thirty seconds of advice. Um, I-, I would probably just say, stick with it. Don't be afraid to fail fast. Um, and uh, and be patient. And the product matters <laughs> the product or the service really matters
1: thank you so much for listening and if you got value from this episode it goes such a long way If you can just take 20 seconds of your time leave me a five-star rating and written review then screenshot this episode and share it to your story and make sure you tag me for that shout out and until next time guys go out there and dream out loud